The Secrets of Movies and TV Shows is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Movies and TV Shows. I'm Dom Bettinelli, and you're listening to The Secrets of this awesome 80s movie, The Last Starfighter, where we will discuss the hidden layers and deeper meanings of this great movie. And joining me today on the panel are David Handlos. Hey, David. Hello. And Thomas Enroho. Hey, Thomas. It's great to be here. Folks, before we get into the show, I want to ask you to go to Apple Podcasts, not right this second, but, you know, when you're done listening and write a review of the show. It really helps us so much when you write a review. Uh, give us a nice five star rating that helps other people find the show. And, of course, sharing the podcast with your friends. Let them know about it. That helps us grow our community and reach more people. Uh, I also want to tell you about another show on the StarQuest Network you are sure to enjoy called The Catholics of Oz. You can find it wherever fine podcasts are found, like at Apple Podcasts or at sqpn.com slash O-Z, O-Z. So, yes, we are talking about The Last Starfighter, which is a movie that came out in 1984 starring uh, Glance Guest as Alex Rogan. Uh, let me give you a quick recap of the story, and then we'll get right into discussing it. So here's what happens. Alex Rogan is a teenager living with his mom and his younger brother in a trailer park somewhere in the southwest. His mom's the manager of the park, and he gets roped into helping her with all the daily tasks. Uh, he has a girlfriend, Maggie, who lives there with her grandmother. Alex wants nothing more than to get out of the trailer park and see the world, but his only escape right now is an arcade game called Starfighter that he is exceptionally good at. What he doesn't know is, know is that the arcade game is really a disguised recruiting device looking for people to join the Star League Fighter, Starfighter Corps, which is an alliance of planets, and uh, in their existential battle against the evil Kodan Alliance. Alex is essentially shanghaied into being a starfighter, and despite fits and starts, and we'll get into that, and an event that makes him the last starfighter, he manages to use his arcade skills to defeat the Kodan and go off on his grand adventure into the galaxy with Maggie by his side, the end. So. That's a good, that's a good summary. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, I suppose we should begin this podcast. I should have begun it by saying, greetings, Starfighter. You have been recruited by the Star League to defend the frontier against Zur and the Kodan Armada. <laughs> so, and listen to every SQBN podcast there is. <laughs> that's right. That's right. So, um, yeah. So for, let's start off by saying, how did you first experience this movie? Like, I, I'm guessing because you all volunteered to talk about this now, you, it wasn't your first time. Uh, so, uh, David, how did you first watch this movie i first watched this movie when my first my folks um finally had basic cable mm -hmm. uh which was <laughs> um i honestly it was in the, it was in grades it was late grade school but you know we we didn't get basic cable until i was like fourth fifth grade something like that so it was, um but then um i turned it on and i i am i never watched the beginning of starfighter for years uh, uh, but the very first thing I turned on was, was when I don't want to jump into the details too much, but when the, when the character known as the beta unit, you guys can get into it later, yep. all of a sudden just, is just sitting there and takes his head off. So that's the yes. very first thing I see in the movie. And, <laughs> it, it, and I wasn't like, I wasn't like that young, but I just was like, 
what is this going to be? <laughs> so the very first thing is the guy takes his head off and yells at the yells at a boy. Uh, uh, my age should go to sleep. I'm like, <laughs> awesome, awesome. So, so I got off on a weird start. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, how about you, Thomas? Your first experience of this movie? Um, I don't know. I, I honestly don't remember the first time I saw it. I okay. know that when I was a kid, my parents were into some of the sci-fi kind of stuff uh, on my behalf. And, and I know it was very much on my behalf because it's not something that, that they're into on their own. So, you know, we watched Flight of the Navigator. Um, mm. E.T. Uh, is another one kind of in the same vein. And um, and this one was another one that made its rounds in my house just because it was like, OK, Thomas likes the sci-fi thing. So let's. <laughs> Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll let him we'll let him watch it. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I, I I don't remember the first time I saw it. I do remember kind of going back through childhood memories when I was in uh, college. And this was one that just immediately came up when, you know, talking about 80s movies that you really enjoyed. Uh, so this one and yeah, Flight of the Navigator both were two of my absolute favorites uh, growing up. So, yeah, I, 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 I can't tell you when I first saw it, but I know I have seen it multiple times as a kid. <laughs> right, right. I haven't watched this in ages uh, and I wasn't even sure like when we first started talking about it, whether you could even watch it online, which we, which you can actually. It's available in the various all the various places. Uh, but the, I didn't the first time I experienced this was not as a movie, but as the novelization. Uh, ah. I, I my, For whatever reason, when it came out, I didn't go see it at the, at the theater. Um, who knows why? And uh, but I, I was totally into uh, reading novelizations of movies, including movies I hadn't seen yet. And this was one that came up and a uh, novelization written by Alan Dean Foster, I think, uh, who did a lot of novelizations of, of mov- you know, movies back in the 80s. And so it was very interesting to experience this with just my imagination of what's going on and what we're seeing. So it was really cool in that sense. So um, and then later on, you know, watching the movie and seeing, you know, the visuals and all that sort of stuff uh, as a result. Uh, so I I kind of experienced the movie as the story itself. And of course, all the added wonderfulness that Dallin Dean Foster would add in a novelization. Um, so that, that, I could, that would be an awesome as a book. Yes. Wow. Yeah. And, and in fact, I think it is a great story. I mean, it, the, the movie itself is not the greatest movie ever made, but it's a good movie. and. And there's a lot of interesting story potential in it. Uh, I mean, what do you guys think? Uh, you know, I'm, I'm kind of stating it, but what do you think? Do you agree? I think it's a great. I mean, I it's it's not it's never going to be under the uh, like cinematic masterpieces ones. But this was I mean, this was I don't know if I, you know, it, this was a great movie. To, this, is a, this is a great movie, not just because it's not because it's like this groundbreaking breaking original thing, but it's a great it's a good story. It's entertaining and it's rewatchable as all get out. Yeah, I could watch this over and over and over. Mm-hmm. And that's right. It's fun. It's just fun to watch. Yeah. Yes. I think that's what it really comes down to is that it's it's fun. It's it's just a a real there's there's not a, a lot of dense story to it. It ticks all of those fantasies of like, you know, I, I want to be doing something great and meaningful, uh, but I don't have the background to do those great, meaningful things. You know, so anyone who's ever felt that way, this movie really speaks to uh, to that. Uh, the hero's journey is very much a part of what's going mm-hmm. on here. Um, and, and it's also it, it it's also not it doesn't take itself so seriously that it can't poke fun at what's going on. Right. And, and so there's a lot of internal referencing and uh, even just in the actors that are picked 
to play certain roles. <laughs> there's yes. a there's a lot of internal reference to kind of what's happening. And um, I, it came out at exactly the right time, too, I think, which is really good because you're comparing it to Star Wars. There's, there's no way you can avoid comparing it to Star Wars because of when it came out, because it came out in 84. So it's like right on the tail end of the Star Wars uh you know uh the fandom yeah yeah and so it's but but it's good because it's its own story even even though it does take a lot <laughs> from star wars <laughs> yeah. it's still very much its own story and it has its own kind of feel and uh and sense of the of the universe that we live in and then and, and what we're part of so I, I i love it i and you know i i was surprised that my wife had never seen it or she didn't at least remember uh seeing it but you know her her, her family she grew up with different kind of movies steven seagal was more prominent in her household than, than uh. in mine uh so so i and, and i really do like i say my my parents were great because they recognized that this is the kind of thing i was into and that's probably the only reason I, that they ever watched it was because it was the kind of thing that I was into growing up. You know, the, the it is a, such a perfectly timed movie because not only you know is it right on the you know the, the just at the peak of Star Wars and sci the eighties sci fi you know uh, uh, everybody loving sci fi back in the eighties, uh, but also arcade games. Ar- arcades mm-hmm. and arcade games were huge. They were like they were it was every kid. We're, was playing arcade games. We we're going down to arcades, feeding with quarters. Uh, parents thought it was a waste of time. Kids loved it. Uh, and and this proposes the idea to every kid. Well, what if it isn't a waste of time? What if there's a reason to do this? You know, what if all that money and all that time you're spending can result in you actually being good at something that's important, you know, for the, the universe, the galaxy, you know, and, and it really feeds that fantasy and that's probably why it appeal to a lot of kids. Oh yeah. <laughs> now, and I wonder about, you know, any, any uh, parents or grandparents who, who took those, who took kids to the theaters to watch this. I just wonder if, uh, then might jump ahead a little bit, but yeah, the, this, this big, this big important role that this, this, the lead character is being pressed on is being, uh, you know, the guy who's trying to yep. fit him for this job is none other, none other than uh Robert Preston, Robert Preston, the Centauri, yeah. who <laughs> yeah. who was pre- who was known to older audience for being a flim flam man in places like Music Man, and it's like this, like yes. this is the like this is the, you know, he's basically the equivalent of a used car interstellar used car salesman, and you're trying to <laughs> right <laughs> exactly what he was, yeah, yeah, yeah. he's he was just a, a perfect f- pick for that role too, like just, just a, an absolutely spot on perfect. Oh, pick Harold for that Hill, role. <laughs> I mean, this is Harold Hill as an alien, you know, from yeah, from yeah. Music Man. He is a flim flam man of the galaxy. Yeah, it was. It's such a really great cast. So Lance Guest stars as Alex and he really doesn't do anything after this. I mean, he kind of did like he works a lot, but nothing big or, you know, or, or that's that's even of the scale of this, um, which is a shame. I mean, he's not the greatest actor in this, honestly, but he's fine. Um, you got Robert Preston. You got Catherine Mary Stewart as his girlfriend, Maggie, who stars in a lot of teen uh, uh, movies back in the eighties. Uh, you know, she was. I remember from Night of the Comet. Did you guys ever see oh that one? Oh my gosh! Yep. Yes, I forgot about that. Oh my gosh, that was such a cheesy fun movie. Just another cheesy fun eighties movie. Yep. Uh, and uh, she was in that. She was really good in that. Uh, you know, every teen boy's crush. You know that sort of thing. Um, <laughs> and so many other people you recognize from. You'll recognize from eighties movies and TV shows uh, that you know you don't know their names. Be like, oh, I've seen her and stuff. I've seen him and stuff. Um, 
and in fact, well, I'll mention someone else later who, who who's briefly on screen that anyone who's a Star Trek fan will recognize. But there's also, in addition to the him, Will Wheaton was apparently in this cast. Oh, really? As, as a, Lewis's friend, but I think it might have been a deleted scene. I, I think he was like he was he was like I, I read something about him being it was like being deleted or uh, it was either deleted or it was like whatever whatever he was in there it's bl- still in uh, was like blinking you miss it type of right yeah right it must have been because I I would recognize Will Wheaton if yeah <laughs> if he came on screen I mean this is right around the same time that Next Gen is is uh, in production so he he'd be a recognizable age here you know you'd, mm-hmm. you'd recognize him so uh, I just I was, I was looking through the cast list and going oh wait I don't <laughs> remember him right uh, but uh, it, so it's such a it's it's a very classic cast and the, you have all of these character actors who populate this trailer park. And it's a, it's an interesting little place. This, uh, star, uh, star, bright, star, starlight, starlight, star, bright, starlight, star, bright trailer court, I think, or trailer park, whatever that is. But, um, it's a, it's a little small town, but it's actually kind of a big family. Uh, and I, I kind of like that about this movie is that this community is a real community. These people are, have real connections and interests in one another. They, they have they care for one another. They're interested in what happens. They kind of all have adopted the, all the kids. They're all the, the aunts and uncles and grandparents for all the kids. And I kind of I think it kind of adds to the movie to have this like 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 this sort of setting for this. Yeah, I, I like the fact that they're they're really actually concerned about the kids and they're not. You know, they understand that the kids want to be doing something different or something more. Mm-hmm. But at the same time. They're being really pragmatic about where they are and, you know, they're trying to help the kids uh, gently realize what life is going to hold for them. And and they and they really do care about them. Like even even the 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 shop owner uh, who owns the arcade game that that uh, that Alex is using as he walks by him, you know, he's genuinely interested in the kids score on this arcade game, which is not typical for adults <laughs> in the 80s. Yeah. Exactly. And then when he when he, you know when he's scoring high, everyone is interested. Like literally right. everyone. Yeah, that's that's the other thing is like everybody is excited for him when he gets the high score. Uh the, it's they're all behind him. You know, these people are all pretty much it's it's sort of unstated but understood. They're all pretty much at the the bottom of the socioeconomic barrel, the 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 levels within our society. I mean, these are people who are pretty much mostly poor, like even Alex's mom, who is the manager of the trailer park, but she's clearly working a second job as a waitress as well, you know, like, and there's no dad in the picture. So, you know, whether she's a widow or divorced, it doesn't say, but it's kind of, you know, interesting to see that they, they, they care for one another and care about the, the kids and Alex's dreams of getting out and going to a good college. And it's interesting to me that Alex's dream is not just to go to the local community college, but to go away to the big city, probably private university that's expensive that he needs a loan for um, to get out and see the world, um, which is that I think the first um, Star Wars reference here, he's the classic Mm -hmm. Luke Skywalker that uh, I'm life is more than this little town. I'm going to get out of here and I'm going to make something of myself and go see the galaxy slash the world. Uh, 
So I, that really felt like, well, you know, the first Star Wars reference in that. And uh, you mentioned Otis, the the store owner, the wise old guru who who he has right. this great line. He says, things change. They always do. Like because Alex is down about getting out of there. He's like, things change. They always do. You'll get your chance. The important thing is when it comes, you got to grab it with both hands and hold on tight. And that becomes the thing that he holds on to later on when he's about to not grab his chance and because of fear. So uh, I thought that was pretty good. Um, and yeah, he's very uh, Yoda, Ben Kenobi ish. And uh, there's a yeah, it, it, that's a lot of fun. Um, so mention that uh, his girlfriend, Maggie. Interesting character, she's supportive of him. Um, mm-hmm. a, a lot of times in movies like this, you have the girlfriend who um, is not exactly you're not sure whether she's loyal or not or. You know, she's she she wants him for more or like for not for who he is. You know, she's with him for prestige or something. But Maggie comes off as a really good character, a really good pairing with him. And uh, you root for them. And I really kind of like that in here. And they're and they're still foils to each other, which is really good, too, because, you know, as much as they, they care for each other, there's still a difference between who they are, where he wants to get out really badly. And she sees the value in that but is really content being where she is she's not yeah. interested in more than what than where she is because she kind of has resigned herself to that and i think that that's part of what is so uh, uh you know just nice about the relationship is that they're they're both building off of each other she's the stability he's the dreamer they're really coming together to make something that's really genuine and it is very rare to see something like that, especially in these 80s movies. Yes, that is true. That is true. So we we have the the, you know, a couple of moments of Alex being disappointed in his is um, doing his duty to his family, uh, to, you know, his mom and the trailer park and giving up his opportunity to go have fun with Maggie and his friends, which is symbolic of all the ways in which he's has to give up, you know, uh, his dreams, you know, and, and probably what's going to happen. What we'll find out is, is he's not going to be able to go off to college too. Um, so he, but he breaks this record on the Starfighter game and, you know, it's clear he's really good at it. Uh, they, they really make that uh, clear. And like we said, the whole trailer park comes out to see and they, they make this big deal out of it. And it's like this big extended family and there's a big celebration. Um, and uh, that's really nice. But then we have the, like, so there's a high and then we go to a low where he gets the bad news of his student loan denial. Mm-hmm. Um, and and he doesn't look like he's going to be able to get out of there. Um, and that's this is the moment when things turn. Uh, I don't know if you guys noticed. So he's standing. We have a big night sky above him. We see the the uh, arcade game in the background. It starts acting funny. And then we see a shooting star. I don't know. It was. Mm-hmm. I, I'm sure that was obvious to everyone. Yeah. So it yeah. takes a curve right at the end, too. It doesn't mm-hmm. just go down. It kind of curves downward right at right. the end of its arc. And that's the arrival of Centauri, the play by Robert Preston in his weird DeLorean like car, uh, the star <laughs> car, uh, which was DeLorean around this time. DeLoreans came out, so it might have been influenced by it. Yeah. 
It had uh, to have been. I don't know. I have yeah, because Back to the Future and all that. So I think it was Back yeah, to the Future would time. be the next year. Yeah, so here's the thing. Like, you go back, go, going back to talking about the cast and everything, you've got Nick Castle as the director for this film. Yep. And Nick Castle is Mike Myers in the original and follow-up Halloween movies. Uh, oh. So, so he was very good friends with John Carpenter. He probably even met... Um, <clears throat> All uh, most of this cast uh, from some of the John Carpenter films that were being filmed at the time, and and John Carpenter goes back to that older sci-fi, you know, tradition of kind of the horror sci-fi and the comedy sci-fi, and so to to see this kind of turned on its head that way, uh, you know, these guys were walking through the back lots and looking at all the stuff that was going on, and the DeLorean was probably being put to use to make back to the future right around the same time they were shooting this movie <laughs> right yeah that's true that's true um so um i want to talk about the cg but I, I want to wait to talk about that until we get to into space uh but we have this you know satori shows up we talked about how he's kind of the flim flam man the used car salesman sort of thing the pit the patter that kind of overrides alex is polite and therefore goes along with things like he gets into the car. Nobody gets in, you, like right, before right. 2022, <laughs> you don't get in the car, but no, yeah. <laughs> but it's, it's 1984 or three, whatever the, the year is supposed to be. Uh, and then we have um, this, this uh, figure in the dark that he shakes hands with and he gets zapped. And so this is beta. And so they're going to take Danny away. I'm sorry, Alex away. Sorry. Uh, to be uh, the starfighter, but they don't want him to be missed at home. So Centauri has this simulate uh, simulacrum simuloid. Yes, that's what they call it. Uh, that will acquire Alex's face, his, his appearance, and apparently his memories. Some of them, but not necessarily all of his behaviors, which will, <laughs> which causes some fun. Um, and it it's a typical. Disney like farce. And that's one of the things I kind of want to mention here is this movie has a very Disney feel to it. It is not Disney. Mm -hmm. It's universal, but it feels like a lot of, you know, escape to Witch mountain and a lot of these other movies of that era uh, that felt good, had this sort of uh, fantasy fulfillment story were, were had funny farce like elements. And in fact, like a lot of this cast were people from all of those Disney movies of that era. So I thought that was kind of interesting. That feel did, did, does that strike uh, a, a ring a bell with you guys? Like, it, did it have that? Yeah, feel? I was, I was surprised. This, I mean, looking back, I was surprised this wasn't a Disney movie. And this, you guys mentioned yeah. flight of the navigator. This is this, I mean, this, this hits me just like flight of the navigator does. Mm hmm. Except with more killing. Um, <laughs> yes. Well, and I and, and I will say it's it's funny because you you really notice in this movie the places where it's not a Disney movie, where uh, like his little brother who curses and yeah. has a bunch of Playboys stuck <laughs> under the bed. Right. Yeah, you know? right. yes. And 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 you 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 it feels so out of place in this movie when that stuff happens because. That's that's the rest of the stuff that was going on in the 80s. And Disney was really good about avoiding that kind of stuff in their movies. And that's why they got the the moniker of being like, you know, sappy or, or for kids and very kiddy, very kiddy like. Right. Um, but at least family so, friendly. Yeah, right. Mm -hmm. And but but I love the fact that, you know, it it's jarring in this movie when that does happen because the main character is set up in such a way that he's a really honorable character. And so when when this younger brother of his is pulling out these playboys. She's like, 
why does this kid have the you don't even question whose they are you know that they belong to the younger brother right right yeah it it, yeah it felt very weird and you know from a 2022 perspective it feels uncomfortable that they would have Mm -hmm. a kid that age having pornography and obviously i mean it's not cute uh although at the time I think it kind of was thought to be, oh, look at this young boy discovering his sexuality. And it's like, that's not nice anymore. Like, (laughs) which is kind of a weird thing. Like, we're actually a little more pulled back on that some. uh, And, you know, whereas in other areas, we've kind of gone off the rails uh, relatedly. But, you know, although it's kind of weird to say it, but, you know, Playboy of, of the early 80s is probably a lot tamer than anything that's out there now so <laughs> that's it's that's definitely true relatively uh i don't know well i don't want to get to it relatively anything it's still it's still immoral and not not good uh so but yeah it was jarring to have those elements come into mm-hmm. this uh story um when they when they showed up and i think it says something about the kind of story that this really wanted to be um mm-hmm. which is a feels good story um, yeah so it had a lot of really wholesome elements to it. And I that it was great. It was it was better for that. And and I think that's a, it's amazing to me, like going back and learning who all these people were and that they're coming from like the John Carpenter background. <laughs> yeah. so it's just like John Carpenter was wow. a horror director. Yeah, like he made a lot <laughs> yeah. of uh, scary movies like The Thing and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. And, or and Nick Castle, who was Mike Myers in the Halloween movies, right. like <laughs> right. scary movies. Uh, so. Yeah. Um, so let's talk about I wanted to talk a little bit about the the CG, because from at this point is when the uh, Centauri star card takes Alex off into space and they're on their way to the Star League. And it, this this the computer graphics in this are extremely primitive, like just from our perspective, even from the from the 90s perspective, you'd look back and go, wow, that's really primitive. I mean, this is like video game quality of of the 80s like this mm-hmm. is what you might see in a in a really good video game uh of the of the 80s and they were they were really pushing the limit on this i i was talking to you guys beforehand this is what they did to make the so to kind of set the stage ilm industrial light and magic making the star wars movies was still using models at this point like all mm-hmm. the star wars movies used physical models that they filmed no one was making computer graphics space films at this point uh so you had um oh you know yeah yeah i mean there was some computer graphics put in but i don't want to get too much into that so they went to this company digital productions that used a cray supercomputer now cray was the supercomputer my my iphone has more power than that computer now but uh, but, at <laughs> but, the this, time, but this was this was before deep blue this was the craze were it yes exactly mm-hmm. um so there was 27 minutes of effects made for the film and which was enormous amount of computer generated imagery they had 300 scenes containing gra- computer graphics each frame of the animation was an average of 250,000 polygons. Now, a in a regular video game you'd play on your PlayStation or Xbox has uh like we'll have millions or billions at this point of polygons in a scene. So, very low resolution comparatively. The resolution of 3000 by 5036 bit pixels. 3000 by 5000 is a lot even for the time um mm-hmm. if just by it's comparison about twice your twice your computer screen. Yes. If you think about it. it. The the imagery that we use for the thumb the uh the, the for the, the graphics for this podcast artwork, the square one, 
is uh, 1400 by 1400. Just as a comparison, that's what this Apple requires. So that's a, that's a big image. Uh, so they used, um, it cost $14 million of the, of the $21 million budget to do the computer graphics. Uh, everything was programmed in Fortran, uh, which was the only language that had vectorization, which is what, how that you do it. I don't want to get into the tech of it. Um, and uh, it just, it's, it took forever for them to do it. it and it's kind of wild just to see it on screen. It's it's amazing to me, actually, it's it's really advanced. It's incredibly advanced for what was anything that was happening in this time period. Yeah. If and you, um, this was just if you sorry to sorry, yeah, go ahead. But, go. but just to keep just like you said, this is for the, especially the, this is really incredibly advanced for the time. If you keep especially even you keep in time and with the fact that this came out two years after Tron. Yes. Mm-hmm. Tron is the other one. Yeah. That yeah, had where, all that where, computer tr- graphics. Yeah, and this this is in my mind like it's a in a lot of ways it's a step ahead of Tron in some sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like that was like I'd like to see someone else do that. That's real. That was yeah. really great. And so. it's almost another decade before we get Jurassic Park, where you know you look at the graphics in that today, and they're dated, except for the fact that they were very clever and made them all at nighttime. <laughs> Yes. So you can get away with a lot more in nighttime in the rain. Yes. The, the computer graphics can do a lot more. So, I, I, you know, and I remember my buddy when I when I got to, uh, I guess it was 99, my, my buddy using Bryce uh, 3D to produce images that were basically like this. And that was the home computing uh, graphics scene in the late 90s. So they really pushed way ahead of where they were and and this is in an age before there was any kind of texturing on images so fortran could do a vector and i'm going to get a little technical here because i think it's really cool uh the the uh, the vectoring of an image is essentially when you take a a picture and you break it up into into its three-dimensional spaces it creates triangles and that's how you kind of put everything together to make a to make a three-dimensional image and today what they'll do is they'll take actual images and put them on on those triangles that are very detailed and make it look like it has more depth and more detail. But these images actually don't come across really terribly and they are the entire screen for some parts of this movie. So it's not like they just put some graphics on top of other things, but they actually have a space station on a three dimensionally generated uh, cliff face. Yes. And it's not terrible. It's, it's believable. It's yes, it's obviously 1980s graphics and it would not pass for reality. But when you're immersed in the film enough, which I feel like they they really do earn by that point, you're fine seeing that happen. And I think the other really clever thing here, too, is that the origin of his abilities was in a video game. Right. And they showed us the video game and the video game was very low graphics compared to what we now have gotten into. And I think that was the real kind yeah. of a genius of this of the switch yeah that's true that's true uh actually I, I i was reminded of something i want to talk about when we get to the end about something called polybius but uh let's, let's come back to that i don't know if you guys have heard of that story uh that may have inspired this this movie or some say it has um but it's related so um yeah the the the, the it is interesting that they build the graphics out of the video game like it's still video game related just like Tron was and that sets expectations this is video mm-hmm. game video game technology video game graphics 
And therefore, this is, you you know, we build our expectations out of that. And later on, you know, they'll eventually get good enough. Like you said, with like Jurassic Park is, is was a groundbreaking movie because it made photorealistic, you know, graphic uh, CG that was, you know, in the dark and in the rain, granted, but still mostly indistinguishable from reality. And uh, that's that. But this was you got to begin somewhere. And this was an early part of that. So. uh so he's kidnapped to another planet. He's shanghaied, taken off, taken off to this other place, uh, to Ryloth, which I wonder, is it a, is that where Ryloth gets its name in Star Wars? I don't know, maybe. Because this, there was Ryloth was before Ryloth, to be, mm. to be clear. Uh, the, the, and uh, so the, the Rylans created the Star League, which is a league of planets, and they created this giant shield, this incredibly implausible giant shield around their part of the galaxy, that keeps out the Kodan. It's the shield is called the frontier. Okay, not the last frontier. Not the last one. <laughs> but, uh, and so they, they have to defend the frontier. That's what that, that comes from in the uh, video game. Um, and you have this classic fish out of water moment where he's, he's stumbling around. He doesn't understand anybody. You know, the, they're all speaking these other languages. There's all these aliens everywhere. He's not quite sure what's going on. He's kind of been abandoned by Centauri. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah. and he ends up in a in a briefing, steps on a alien tentacle, and he has a confrontation. Classic, you know, uh, confrontation with an scary alien. You're not sure what's going on, so it's a real fish out of water moment. Again, sort of like the cantina scene in Star Wars, mm-hmm. you know, and Luke, you know, getting stuck there. Um, and then he ends up meeting the guy who'll be his best friend, Greg, the navigator played by Dan O'Hurley. And Greg is a great character because Greg is just fun. Like he's <laughs> easy going. He's, he's, a, he's welcoming. He's um, he, he doesn't pressure Alex. He's just like, this is the way it is. And I can take you home, but if you go home, you know, that's going to be the end of the star league, but Hey, maybe you'll have a few years before the code Dan show up at earth. And that might, that'd be nice. Like yeah, he's right. very, very low pressure. <laughs> Um, and the laugh. Yeah. His laugh, though, is the his yes. laugh is the best part. That just wheezy, like. <sighs> <laughs> yes, yeah, he is. Uh, yeah, a really fun character. I really like him. Remind me a little of um, uh, Enemy Mine, the alien character no. in that. With um, he does, um, he does look like a Lou. Is it Lou Gossett? With yeah. with um, Quaid, Quaid, Dennis Quaid. Yeah, Dennis Quaid. That was a highly underrated movie yes yeah um wholeheartedly agree <laughs> yes maybe we'll do that one sometime i was gonna say we got another <laughs> podcast running there uh so and then we you know get the revelation that everyone's surprised that alex doesn't want to be there as a starfighter like you get the idea that starfighter is what is what every kid aspires to be in the star league everyone and there's there's apparently very few of them but their ships are ultra powerful and just this handful of ships looks like maybe a dozen are enough to hold back the entire Kodan ar- armada. Okay. Uh, and so it's kind of an interesting underdog bit of story too. Like that, like that, that idea, um, a few starfighters against the big enemy ships. Although the armada to be fair is, is 
one control ship and three squadrons. <laughs> yeah, well, this <laughs> is true. <laughs> so, yeah. we, we, the, the, again, we have to re- remember the budget for special effects. <laughs> but yes. So like the, the, the start, when the Starfighter League is less than 10 people, Mike, do they like form Voltron or something? They're not a very big group here. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They can be wiped up by one missile. Um, yes. We'll get to that bit. Um but they're all surprised he doesn't want to be in the, uh, the Star League. And Earth isn't a member of the Star League, obviously, because Earth is still pretty primitive compared to everyone else. Um, and we get introduced to another character, Zur. And this is one of the interesting things is we have this uh, mythology that's sort of behind everything here. Some classic characters. And Zur is the classic um, enemy who's the who's being manipulated. He's the tool of a bigger enemy, but he doesn't realize it mm-hmm. that he's just a tool uh, in more ways than one. And so, <laughs> <laughs> works on two levels. Yes. yes. And uh, so Zur is a Rylan who's betraying his people uh, and wants to conquer them and rule them and has brought in the Codan Alliance to help him. But of course, the Codan Alliance is going to throw him over the overboard at the first opportunity once his usefulness has passed. It's a classic trope. Um we find out that the uh, that the arcade game was this test designed to find people on Earth with unique skills. And it was intended to go to Las Vegas, but ended up in this trailer park, which was maybe brilliant because what you had in in Vegas, it might have got overlooked. Right. It's just one more video game. Whereas in the trailer park, you have um, kids who would dedicate their lives to playing it, Frank, frankly, and become really good at it. Uh, so I, I thought that was interesting. Yeah, and I and I think to to there I to talk about the video game for a second yeah. because I I was really struck watching it this time. The UI on that video game is excellent. Like mm. it is huh? really really good. And the the whole concept of having the starfighters uh controls be exactly the controls that the that the player is using and all of the interface, the colors and the scheme and everything that was really well designed and major props to whoever put that together because that right. felt very much like you know like the wing commander game which was still six years coming oh uh, yeah and and that's exactly what i was reminded of and, and my wife even commented this looks a lot like the games that your dad still plays and i'm like yep that's <laughs> absolutely correct <laughs> and you know it it's also brilliant to have like this the star fighters the, the quote-unquote real star fighters they're all of the functions that aren't the video game functions are taken over by someone else. I mean, he's in charge of propulsion and life support and all these auxiliary engineering sort of functions that you'd need in real life to have someone doing. Uh, and, and that leaves the pilot who's really the gunner, frankly, mm-hmm. yeah, uh, yeah. He, who, it, you know, doing just what he does, which is play a video game. And it's kind of a brilliant you know, dodge of the reality question. Like, oh, uh, how can a kid playing a video game translate to an advanced futuristic starfighter? Well, maybe it's advanced enough that it is that simple. You know, I mean, that's really, it It, it doesn't, have, it, it's probably less complex the more advanced it gets, not more. So, uh, interesting. So um, that's saying you had one job. <laughs> yes. really, that's it. And he has one job and he, yeah. he can do it. Um, so they, uh, the the Kodan are making this hole in the in the uh in the frontier. They're using this device to basically drill a hole in it. And once they have a hole that's big enough, 
they shoot meteor missiles at the starfighter base and uh meteors is a is a fun thing because it's basically just kinetic energy uh it mm-hmm. it's been pro- uh, a sci-fi trope for a long time of the idea of just if you shoot a meteor at something it's just a, a lot of weight hitting something at speed it's kinetic energy that's going to do a lot of damage and so uh they shoot at the starfighter base and again all eggs in one basket um there's mm-hmm. only one starfighter base and so all the starfighters are destroyed except one a prototype and all the pilots are just are killed except for alex who's in centauri's car on the way home uh because he he said like i didn't sign up for going to war and that's really again a little realistic in the sense of i mean i can't right. imagine oh the excitement of being a starfighter pilot but presented with you no know, you have to actually go into war a, a kid mm-hmm. going i i didn't sign up for that i don't want to do that uh, yeah so I, very, very different from Luke's uh, trajectory here, though. Yes. Because, you know, Luke, Luke is no, 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 I'm not I'm not going to have I'm not going to be part of the war. What can I possibly do against the Empire? And then when he's confronted with it, he just picks up a gun and goes like he's got like he's in 100 yeah. percent. And it's like, oh, OK, that's a big shift. <laughs> but but I, I like Alex's a lot better where it takes a little more kind of compelling, uh, you know, home impetus to, to get right. him going there. Or this and this like, you know, some people are going to come. It, gunning for his family unless he goes and that mm-hmm. finally gets it that really prods him to right. well and it's but it's not even that really it's like he when he gets back out there he's kind of he, he it feels like he's even shoved back into the situation because he's he has a hard time away. firing yeah yeah and and then you know he still has to be convinced like grig has to share about his family and how they've been how they were taken into slavery and and all of that it, with before he really consigns himself to it yeah he does have a kenobi uh luke moment like that uh moment uh, in star wars when they're with the 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 jawas that have been killed and Mm -hmm. he's like i'm just a kid from a trailer park he says uh you know when given his chance and you know i I hear in my head that's your uncle owen talking (laughs) right 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 (laughs) and 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 that's the sort of same similar situation but you're right it takes him a lot longer to be convinced yeah. yeah. Well, and, and I like Centauri's line there too. And, and as long as you, that's all you'll ever be if that's the way that you think. You know, mm-hmm. that's that's his his telling to him. And it, and and when he says that, he's not trying to sell him on anything at at that point. He's yeah. just giving him the straight truth at that point. Right. So uh, back at the trailer park, for whatever reason, Centauri doesn't like pick up. I mean, his car breaks down. So maybe that's one of the reasons why. But he doesn't he's not picking up the beta unit who, meanwhile, has start has um, alienated Maggie by accusing her of uh, uh, what was it? Like something like she tried to kiss him and he got mad. She stuck it. She stuck her tongue in his ear. Oh, right, right. Yes. Restrain your primal urges. I think he's what he says to her, yeah, something yeah. like that. Um, and then we have this bounty hunter show up who looks human at first until Centauri's arcade game apparently has a bounty hunter uh, protection function because it strips away the whatever disguise the bounty hunter is wearing to show his real alien appearance. But did you did you recognize the actor who played the human bounty hunter? No, I, I did didn't. Not. I did uh, not. His name is Mark Alemo, and if you are a Star Trek D- Deep Space Nine fan, you will recognize him as Gull Dukat. Oh. Uh, so yeah, just a little bit of uh, fun there. Uh, I, I saw him. I'm like, wait, who is that? And it's a you know a ten years younger 
Mark Alemo, but uh, yeah, he's it, it's him. Uh, and he's, you only see his human face for about you know three minutes on screen or two minutes, so it's it's it's, it's easy to miss. Uh, but that that was fun. Uh, and Centauri throws himself in front of Alex to save him from the bounty hunter, like because I think Centauri still recognizes Alex, even does even though he's said he doesn't want to do it, is really the last hope. He's the last hope mm-hmm. for the, the, the Star League. So. Uh, this convinces Alex to go back and the beta unit stays behind uh, to be bait. For yeah. That's what makes him a beta unit. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much. Uh, and uh, he gets to go out in his, uh, in the, the prototype Starfighter, and, you know, they, they go for this run and they get this first fight with a live target and he has a hard time shooting at it. And again, mm-hmm. I like this about Alex. This is a good mm-hmm. thing because it, he doesn't take a life lightly. Mm-hmm. You know, he recognizes right. this is not a video game. This is real life. And these are real people on that ship. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I kind of like that about about him and about this. These are real moral choices he's making. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's not it's not an easy decision to do what he does. And then and I think even as he goes along, he, he really does need that convincing that this is the only choice. And and that's where you get into that just war, you know, concept of like really thinking about, is there another option here? And it's not until he's shown very clearly that there is no other option that he commits to the action that he must, which is to, to continue with this battle and to, to carry it out to its conclusion. Right. And you mentioned before, like it's when Grig humanizes the situation mm-hmm. humanizes uh alienizes mm-hmm. uh the situation by talking about his family and you know this is a real situation for real people out here uh not just it's again not just a video game uh and it's you know what the the old saying is, is all it takes for evil to triumph is a good man to do nothing um and they don't say that in the movie but that's the implication so alex is the one who comes up with a plan to to fight back, you know, it's one starfighter against all of these ships and the in the control ship, but he comes up with a plan uh, to let them pass and then sneak up behind them. Um, and th- this is when Alex decides to stay. Um, meanwhile, back at the ranch, uh, mm. Beta Unit is really fumbling the relationship with Maggie. <laughs> I mean, they they kind of go, go out to the you know the place where teens gang out in the woods and and where they you know they're they're going to make out or whatever and. Uh, whatever's going on doesn't go well I, you know whatever he tries to take his cues from exactly the wrong people <laughs> Ex- exactly yeah. the wrong people <laughs> yeah he's, he's, he's listening to the other guy who's the, who's you know a, a lothario uh and saying saying this, these sorts of things that are maybe appropriate for his girlfriend but not appropriate for maggie let's put it that right. way and uh, that's when he has to eventually reveal to maggie look i have to come clean I'm a beta unit. I'm not, I'm not Alex. And the, a, a new bounty hunter who showed up, uh, overhears him and shoots at him. He actually shoots, shoots him and, you know, runs off to go transmit back to Starfighter command. That there's actually, or I mean, to the Codan Alliance, that there's actually a, a Starfighter still out there. And so they have to chase him. And so we have this fun chasing with the pickup truck and, uh, the beta unit sacrifices himself to stop the transmission. Um, so a lot of fun stuff there. Uh, Maggie, even, uh, you know, having to dive from the truck and that sort of thing. So it was, uh, it was kind of fun. Uh, 
Um, and well, and I like I like that he gets almost the entire message out. Yes. Like, everything except for the last word and so then they're left to guess what what he was saying the last starfighter is in what zur <laughs> in his arrogance says dead okay so we're, we're we're clear to go so let's go um you know we didn't talk much about zur and the two uh codan officers that he's dealing with and there's a kind of a fun uh repartee so you have the um the the, the was it ambassador was it enduran was that the I'm trying to think of Lord think so. Krill. Lord Krill was the head um Codan. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then he had an officer with him who I don't think was named. And uh and they, you know, they're running things and they're giving orders for things. And Zur is like, no, I'm the one who gives orders here. And so, you know, and you know, bursts in and like, oh, of course, uh, you know, Lord Zur, uh, what do you want us to do? Uh, do the thing you told them to do, you know, and so they have to go do it, you know, and they're, they're kind of like long suffering and we're putting up with this guy because the emperor said to, but we won't need him for, for much longer. Um, so, uh, so there was a, there's some fun, a little bit of a repartee there. I love the random, the random, like little eye lens thing that he has pop out for whatever reason. For dramatic effect. Like <laughs> yeah. it's just yeah. dramatic. It has no <laughs> discernible it, it, use. It does nothing. <laughs> yeah. I, can, I can see everything only it's slightly redder. <laughs> <laughs> well, like at the end when he's about to die, you know, he says something profound and it, it's, it slaps into place. Like you slap it into place to die. I mean, I, okay. Yep. It's very dramatic, very, very yes. dramatic way to go out. Um, so of course the resolution is a critical failure point. This is a critical failure point plot. There is a communications turret on the bottom of the Kodan ship that lets the enemy fighters act as one in battle. And without it, they are easy pickings. And so the whole point is, is like a video game. You have to fight your way through the fighters to get to the, the boss and win the boss battle by destroying the turret. And that's, and that's uh, how you win. And it ends up making the, uh, command ship crash into a moon uh which is a pretty big it's a pretty big ship or a small moon but we'll I'm not I was sure say the, the moon you, i was you know watching it again i forgot that the moon that the, the ship doesn't shrink and then find, then you get to see it but it no just that that's a that's a tiny moon that just... <laughs> yeah it's like a meteor more of things but yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh what's interesting is that zur escapes it, you know, he jumps into a, a escape pod and gets away. And I'm, and I'm wondering, I, I haven't seen any like directors informational like that. Was this intended as a loose thread for a potential sequel? Probably. I mean, that's my guess, right? Apparently they're trying to make a sequel. Oh, I want to talk about that too. We'll talk about that in a bit. Cause I watched that video you gave us a link to. We'll talk about that. Um, uh, I'm, I'm here for that. Uh, th- there's all kinds of other adaptations that they made, but we'll, we'll, we'll I'm here for that. Um, so Zur escapes. Alex goes home, the triumphant hero in his spaceship. Like, so, of course, there's a couple of different ways you could do this. You could go back and nobody believes him that he was really out in space and that sort of thing. But they don't do that. They have him come back as the returning hero where everyone, including his uh, rival, uh, the, you know, the guy with the pickup truck and the cowboy hat, uh, all have to acknowledge that he's this hero now i mean he's, he's landed the spaceship he's got an alien sidekick i mean he must be a hero. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> um, something happened <laughs> yeah I mean, something um 
we got a job at an industrial light and magic, didn't you? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh, although I, I love the fake tension, the fake drama, like it lands and you see this dark figure descending from the cockpit on this platform. Like who could that possibly be? Like <laughs> we, we, we know we, we've been mm. watching the movie. So it's kind of funny. Uh, it's Alex. Um, and he needs to go back. He's decided to like, the, he's, He's the last starfighter. They need him to to stay and guard the planet. Uh, Zer's still out there, and uh, and he's a hero there. Like he's he's a big deal on this planet, which would be kind of cool, you know, to go and you know you get a big house right. and good salary. I bet. Uh, so um, he asked Maggie to go with him, and at first she balks. It's like I I can't leave Granny. Like, and what it is really is is I can't leave what I know, the familiar. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's he's like. Well, I guess I got to go. Mm. And he starts to get onto the ship. But why didn't he take his brother at that point? <laughs> right, 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 right. His brother exactly. was asking to go. Louis, yeah. you want to go? <laughs> I'm not sure I'd want to take my uh, whiny little brother with me. <laughs> probably, yeah. probably not. That's just true. Um, and, uh, and this is the implication that they're, they're, they can't come back very often or maybe ever is the idea, this possibility. Uh, although, you mm. know, if they can borrow Centauri's star car, they could sneak in maybe right in any case uh we didn't even talk about centauri dying and coming back i mean this he's an (laughs) alien so apparently he can and he regenerated he's yeah (laughs) yeah so there was that there doesn't Um, regenerate no (laughs) don't use that um so uh, and and that's where we end things on the big hopeful note uh there's other things we want to talk about though there have been adaptations of the last starfighter there was a musical produced there was a musical in 2004 i know that i'm fascinated by this idea the apparently the soundtrack is on apple music so i i I was looking for the soundtrack before we started and i saw a musical and then i looked it up and yeah there was a musical so i might be listening to that later uh there's the novelization that i talked about there was comics they uh, marvel published some comics uh based on the movie uh there was a tabletop game Mm-hmm. from fasa there was supposed the during the credits it says atari was is going to be releasing a last starfighter game like in the credits mm-hmm. it said it never released they never finished the game it got it got released under a different name it got released as star raiders 2 which is mm. oh. apparently they had made it and then it, it they needed they didn't feel like it was going to sell very well. So they just attached it to another franchise that already existed. Oh, oh funny. Yeah. Wow. Uh, yeah. Wikipedia says the game was abandoned once Atari representatives saw the film in post-production and decided it wasn't going to be a financial success. So let's not <laughs> attach ourselves to this, mm. which is yep. uh, unfortunate. Um, there was an NES game t- called the last Starfighter released in 1990, but it was just a conversion of something else. And it wasn't really connected mm-hmm. to the, uh, to the movie and that sort of thing. So a couple other things I want to mention is uh, I want to talk about the sequel in a second, but I want to talk about some other things. First, there's a book by Ernest Klein who wrote Ready Player One called Armada, which is basically Mm -hmm. the same plot about a kid who gets who's really good at a video game who gets recruited based on that ability to become a a pilot for an alien spaceship. So um, it was okay. It's an okay book. Yeah. I'm, that's, uh, that's where my son recognized this from. He like he, he was like, "Wait, this is the plot to Armada," and I'm like, <laughs> "The plot to Armada, yes. <laughs> yeah, the plot to Armada is actually the last yeah. Starfighter." <laughs> uh, 
So I also want to talk about Polybius. Now, Polybius is this urban legend, and uh, it's been mentioned. We we talked about it briefly on Jimmy Akin's Mysterious World, and I think we'll probably end up doing a whole episode on it at some point, which would be fun. Um, but Polybius is this urban legend that says that in 1981, there was an arcade game called Polybius, which was part of a government-run crowdsourced psychology experiment in oh, Portland, yeah, Oregon. <laughs> and that playing it supposedly produced intense psychoactive and addictive effects in the player. And uh, they were the arcade machines were said to be visited periodically by men in black for the purpose of data mining the machines and analyzing these effects. Uh, and then allegedly all of these Polybius arcade games disappeared from the arcade market. Um, so uh, th- there's all kinds of interesting things. And, given that I could see that it may be being a, a part of the inspiration for this movie, you know, that idea of a video mm-hmm. game having a dual purpose. Like I could see that. Well, and I, I think I, the, the hilarious part, the most hilarious part about that is the just dystopian way that that is what we live in right now. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know, video games are made and there is all sorts of data mined from them as right. people use them. And Facebook so, you know, manipulates oh. the algorithm to cause people to be depressed. And yes. Right. <laughs> hey, we're living uh, in, a, in that dystopia that everybody imagined. Um, so the sequel, I, the talk of the sequel, Thomas, you, you shared us uh, a, a link to a concept art sizzle reel that was it Nick Castle put together. Yeah, well, it looks like it looks like several people that were involved in the original movie put it together and are really interested in it. It came out May of last year. OK, um, I, but I can't find any more information. I don't even know how I got on that track. I was just looking up stuff about the movie and then I saw Sizzle Reel for a sequel. It's cool. And, yep. and like that, it came out last year. Um, I would love to see a sequel to this movie, honestly, yes. uh, especially now with the ability to really push the boundaries of, of the computer graphics portion of it um, using some, I, I don't know how you would do it necessarily. You would have to obviously stretch the time period a little bit because you couldn't be focused on Alex, but it could be post him setting up the new Starfighter uh, Academy or, or whatever. And that now we've got new Starfighters and there's a new threat for them to face. Zer's back. <laughs> yeah, it would be. You know, it would be. It would be incredible. I would be real. I'd be in. Like, yeah. I liked this movie enough. This movie was really fun, and this is one of those where you can go any direction you want with it. You can make it just as campy and fun and silly as the original. You can make it completely serious and really riff off of the idea of well, what if this was really what happened? What would that look like? You know, and maybe maybe you pick up with Lewis being old enough to now take over command of the starfighters from his older brother, you know, lots of really good opportunities here. What about even a remake start from scratch? Yeah, you could. Yeah. We could even have like a soft reboot where the exact same thing happens where like, he's like, Alex has spent this whole time trying to get like, okay, we need more than one group of starfighters. Oh, what's (laughs) the odds of, of them getting wiped out by one missile again. And then (laughs) then they have to start up. (laughs) And and then putting taking Centauri's old idea, putting an arcade game on Earth, you know, yep. seeding Earth with arcade games, and then finding people who could do it. Yeah, I can see that. You know, <laughs> uh, um, the, uh, speaking of the uh, sequel idea, uh, I'm trying to find the uh, information out here. So, uh, the the writer, the screenwriter Gary Batool, 
he holds some rights to it, obviously. Um, and he had previously said, I don't want this to be to anything to be done with this. I think it should be what it is. Um, but over the years, it, since basically since 2008, there have been repeating rumors. Um, there's been some conflicting you know, studio rights and that sort of thing. Um, in 2015, it was said that they, that Petula was going to write a TV reboot of the film. In 2018, Gary Whitta, who uh, co-wrote the story for Rogue One, Star Wars Rogue One, and mm-hmm. uh wrote the adaptation of last Jedi. Um, he posted concept art for the last Starfighter sequel to his Twitter account. And then you mentioned last year uh, that a script for the sequel is being written. Uh, he's uh, Batul said, and the rights to the film were recaptured. And then la- and that was in 2020 and then 2021 that sizzle reel came out. So it's possible. Um, I love the idea. Uh, it's, I'm always saying, you know, Hollywood come up with some new ideas, but some things <laughs> are worth revisiting. Yeah. Well, and, and it's not necessarily an old idea if you take something that was cherished and loved and, and vintage and kind of, you know, rub the dust off of it and, yeah. and try something new with it. So I'm I'm all for that kind of stuff. I think it's a really great idea for them to uh explore new territory with old uh mm-hmm. jumping points. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. On that note, let's reboot The Last Dragon while we're at it. <laughs> Gosh, there's some there's some 80s stuff that could Sorry. stand to see the light of day again, and some of it that maybe should never see the light of day again. But uh, we'll Possibly. Bring Possibly. back Short Circuit. Uh, so <laughs> number five is alive. Um, so, uh, all right. Well, definitely uh, Gen X Nostalgia Tour. We uh, we should wrap things up here, uh, but I, I I just wanted to like reiterate the I wanted to talk about this movie not just because it's nostalgic for us but because I think it's a good movie that more people should mm-hmm. be aware mm-hmm. of and it has some really good themes to it. This what part mm-hmm. of what we're doing here is we look at themes and in, in the deeper layers and there's some themes of morality, the hero's journey, uh, where he's a reluctant hero who goes out and but does the right thing to, to mm-hmm. save others. You know, he puts himself on the line and uh, risks everything, uh, including his safe, comfortable life at home for people. He doesn't even know, like he doesn't mm-hmm. know who the, right. the star league is, um, you know, and yeah, eventually that part of it is that his family is in danger that, he, that makes him go. But partly it's because it's the right thing to do. And he wants to do the right thing to, to, to help others. Um, so I think yeah, I that's, hope, yeah. Doing the right thing should never be an old, be too old. Right. Right. I hundred percent agree with that. Right. Absolutely. And having, having a good, just a genuinely good main character that doesn't need a, a, a trunk load of flaws to carry along with them. Right. Uh, it's okay to do that. And you can still make a very interesting film. There are so many stories that are made today in 2022 that are just cynical or snarky mm-hmm. or the anti-hero, the flawed hero. Let's just have a hero. Like maybe once in a while. I, I kind of like that. It's one of the things I liked about the Mandalorian is that first season. He was just a good guy. I mean, he mm-hmm. was a bounty hunter, but he wasn't, he was, he was just a good guy. I mean, Ted Lasso, I think is one of the reasons, one of the reasons people love that first <laughs> season Ted Lasso was Ted Lasso was just a good guy. It wasn't, it wasn't that he didn't have flaws, but he was just good. He, he wanted mm-hmm. good for everyone. He made mistakes, 
but I still want to do good. And I think we need more of that. I love that. It doesn't have, it doesn't all be that, but I think, but, so, but people who like, who genuinely like, like, you know, Ted Lasso, like he's, his main goal is just to make people better versions of themselves. That yeah. is, if, you know, that is his, that's all he wants. So I'm like, yeah, oh, that's pretty nice. we've never made good cookies. We never did an episode on Ted Lasso. We need. We probably should do one on on uh, when the new the next season comes out, which I think is the last one. We should wrap that that series up with a maybe a discussion here. We're getting all kinds of future topics uh, here tonight. All right. So, uh, anything left to say about the last Starfighter? Any other notes we didn't catch? I think if if you haven't watched it, it's it's worth a watch. It's really it's not very long. It's a just a fun movie and so there's not a, not a lot of deep thinking here uh you know it's but it, it is it's really just an enjoyable movie all around uh, nothing oscar worthy about it yeah. but you'll like it yeah exactly that's that's a great way of putting it david last last thoughts on this anything left to say just same it's uh the effects were ahead of its time it may look behind the times but it doesn't get it doesn't get old it yeah. just doesn't mm-hmm. get old so it's fun nice yeah. yes that's a good point good way to put it all right we're gonna wrap it up here we're gonna take a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create the secrets of movies and tv shows including matthew k Teresa h robert g sean l and susan r their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue the secrets of movies and tv shows and all the shows at starquest and you can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give so we'd love to hear what you think of The Last Starfighter. If you've seen it or if you see it for the first time, uh, we'd love to get your impressions. You can let us know by commenting on the show at sqpn.com slash secrets or our Facebook page at facebook.com slash starquestmedia. You can send an email to secrets at sqpn.com or visit our Discord community at sqpn.com slash discord. Until next time, Thomas Senorho, thank you for joining me and sharing the secrets of The Last Starfighter. It's been great. And David Hanlos, thank you as well. As always, thank you. And once again, I'm Don Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to the secrets of movies and TV shows on StarQuest. Quest.